This is Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these words are trustworthy and true. Uh, Would you work in us by your Holy Spirit that we might rightly know you this morning? May we be a church that sanctifies and glorifies and praises you in all your works, all your works that shine forth your wonderful attributes. Uh, Let this word be of comfort for us today. Give us peace that the world can't offer and help us to reject fleshly wisdom, to set our hearts and our minds on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Lord, dwell in us richly that we we may have rest for our souls today in what is forever good and true. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Uh, Psalm 16, it's a uh, messianic psalm. Uh, It points to uh, Jesus. Uh, He's prominent in this psalm, uh, in David's lament and in his praise. Um, But it's wise, I think, for us to go verse by verse through this psalm. Uh, you You could split it up, the beginning half. Uh, talking about David's need and then his response to his need in the latter portion. Uh, But we're going to go verse by verse and see the great truths in each one and how they connect to each other. So verse 1, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Uh, David often in his psalms cries out to the Lord. This isn't different from many of his other psalms, but he starts off by saying, Preserve me, O God. Lord, keep me. Don't let me go. Hold on to me. I need you. Help me. Um, my little girl right now, she clings to, to me and her mom, her grandparents, especially her mom. But it's when she's sad or she's just gotten hurt or she's tired or she's hungry or she's happy. It doesn't really matter what her emotion is, but she, she reaches out and she wants to cling to, to somebody. She, make, she cries out like a, any young child would to their parents or to their loved ones. Um, Lord, hold on to me and preserve me. Uh, don't let me fall. Protect me. This is what David's saying. It's like a child. Do we do this with our Heavenly Father, who's eager to help his children, who's there whenever we call out to him? And David, David's in danger of, of death. Verse 10 tells us that. But this is from a quote from Delich. His cry for help is immediately swallowed up by an overpowering and blessed consciousness and a bright hope. So the lament and the praise in this psalm, the lament is very short. It's preserve me, O God. And then the rest is praise. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Essentially, you can't do this life without the Lord. I'm not saying anything drastically new to us this morning. You can't walk as a believer in this world without God. 
It's impossible and it is futile to try, though we, we do try. It's simply not going to work out for us because God is both provider, he's author of my life, and he is himself my delight. Uh, he, he's, he's my everything. He's the reason for the good in my life. And he is the good. Uh, if we taste any good in this world, it, it, if, if it's not with God, it's not good. With a bold confession, David is declaring in this verse, the Lord is, is his everything. And in nowhere else is he going to find anything that's good. It's his faith that he's announcing. It's not a one-time occurrence that our mouth should do the same thing. It wasn't a one-time thing where you said, Lord, you are my Lord. It should be an everyday confession. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's interesting, if apart from God, David has no good, then how can he say the saints are his delight? How can he immediately say he's got something good in the very next verse? If he just said, apart from the Lord, I have no good. It's because God makes his people good. It's true that community, the saints, they are a good gift from our loving Father. Uh, this is why David can say it, because the saints are connected to what is truly good. They've been changed. They look like their God. They're transformed from their former dead ways into new living believers, capable of doing and receiving what is truly good. So if you're in Christ, you're good. You have something that is good. Though you are struggling with sin, you still have something that's good. The saints are David's delight. And if apart from the Lord there is no good, then they must be connected to what is good. Growing up, we can remember what it was like wanting to be a part of something, part of a group of people, wanting to have friends, wanting to fit in, wanting it to be the right group of friends. I remember that was me going into uh, my first lunch in high school. They had different lunches. I couldn't pick which ones my friends were in or, or where. I, I didn't know where to sit. But throughout that time, I, I had Christian friends. The Lord provided me with people who loved him and wanted to know more about him. I still have many of those friends today. Uh, but then looking around this room, you know, we're, we're a young church. I don't know how long each one of us have been here, but sometimes uh, I look around here and I see a new face, uh, one, that, one that's brand new, I see him this morning. And some I've seen for, for, for a long time before Rivercrest even started. But for those who are in Christ, uh, who love the Lord Jesus, you're my family. You're each other's brothers and sisters. It's one of the greatest encouragements to me. I get to work for this church, for this church family, witnessing the love of God and his people. Um, to those walking in faith who trust in the Lord, it encourages me like David says, it brings me delight to hear about how God's been faithful to you, how he answers your prayers, how you're growing in him, how you're learning more about him, how to serve him, how to love, uh, how to love him, how he's ministering to you by his Holy Spirit, how he's giving you opportunities to share in your faith. Keep sharing those things with me and with each other. Be each other's delight. This is because that, that's the good David is talking about. It affirms, verse 2, we can say, you are my Lord, apart from you I have no good, because we are aware of his presence in this body, in any church body. And I hope that somebody, somebody looking for love and acceptance in this life, it doesn't just happen your freshman year of high school, where you look for people to belong to, a, a, a people to, to love you, because that's what we truly want, is to be loved. I hope that anybody who would come into this church 
would receive that. That they would see a group of people to delight in. That they would accept them. That they'd be, be able to belong to them and be one of God's children with us at Rivercrest. Uh, remember the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, I think I learned this song at VBS, uh, but this little light of mine, right? We all know that one. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, it's not just a catchy children's song. It's a, it's a declaration of our faith. The excellent ones that give David delight, the, the, the ones that he's speaking about there in verse 3, they have faith. And they're not just saying they have faith. He sees their faith lived out. Let your light shine. Not only, do we, not only will others see it, but they'll want to glorify their God who is in heaven. If we're one thing, I hope that's who we are. People that bring in other people to this, to this body who love our Lord and let our light shine so they may do it too. To love the Lord their God. In verse 4, things take a little bit of a turn. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name upon my lips. Uh, this contrasts the following verses in the Lord who satisfies. Now we're talking about people who don't follow him. Uh, and it begs the question of us, who, who are we running after today? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Who are you running after? It's less about who you ran after yesterday or years ago, but today. When you walked in here this morning, who are you running towards? What happens to those who chase after another God? For we can't serve two gods. We can't serve two masters. We have a jealous God. What happens to those who compromise their worship? Who break the first commandment? Who run after another God? What happens, what happens to them? In the Old Testament, Israel often ran after other gods. It led them to destruction, exile, oppression, enslavement. Um, they were overtaken by neighboring nations. They were killed. This happened uh, in the Exodus, in the wilderness. It happened with Joshua entering the promised land. It happened with the judges, Samson, Deborah, Gideon. David would have known all these people. The nation of Israel was very much affected by their lack of trusting in their Lord and seeking after other gods when they would run after other gods. He would very, be very familiar with this in writing this psalm. And then after David, we see his son Solomon Good king did wicked things towards the end of his life, followed after pagan gods. His son Rehoboam, even more wicked. He would see Israel split into two nations. And these two nations, Judah and Israel, would have awful kings. Dark times for the nation of Israel, dark times for God's people who would see oppression and exile, who'd be overtaken because of their sin. And we can take this lightly today. We can think that happened, that happened a long time ago. We're not the nation of Israel. Uh, we don't go to war. We don't have people, neighboring nations, wanting to overtake us. But we can't, be, we can't be fooled this morning because it's not maybe a physical war that we're in, but it's a spiritual one. The consequences of sin are very much the same today. It will lead you to destruction and spiritual exile. 
we can't forget for the wages of sin is death. We love Romans 6.23 because it ends with the gospel, but Paul's warning in the beginning, the wages of sin is death. When we confess our sin on mornings like this, we must know that the wages of it, what we earned when we sinned was death. Sin always leads to death. And in that doctrine, we can conclude what separates someone from verse 3 and verse 4. Is it good works that separates someone who David delights in and someone who runs after another God? Is it their works? Yeah. I could say it's their works. Is it their faith? Yes. Is it how they pray, worship the Lord in the stillness, looking towards verse 7, in the middle of the night when no one else is around? What they're doing, is that what separates them? Yes. Yes to all of the above. It's not, it's not that they've gone to church or done what's right and not done what's wrong. They give, they've been to the events, they're involved in their community. It's not, that's, though that's important, that's not the difference. It's no condition of their heart. The true difference between saints and those who run after another God. Those who are justified and without sin anymore. Who repent and believe has been prayed earlier, putting to death their sin and sanctification by grace. God's salvation, the removal of sin by his son. That's the difference. So if, David, if David's in peril, his life is on the line, like we saw in verse 1, we know why he cries out now. Because it's to be preserved from, from chasing after other gods. Don't let me go. I don't want to go after these other things. I'm going to surely die. Lord, would you be my treasure? Would you be my Lord, be my everything? Because if there's no good apart from you, I don't want it. I don't even want their names on my lips. That's our struggle in this Christian life, right? It's to, it's to it, our eyes are so quick to wander. Our hearts go astray. We need to fight to be holy, to be satisfied and who is good. David's found what he's been looking for. We can learn that from the psalm this morning. He's done searching. He's been made king. He has every worldly pleasure by the snap of his fingers. He can, he can have whatever he wants. And yet he, he's been left wanting. And he's known that the Lord is the only one who satisfies him. Though it's still a struggle, he knows it's the Lord who's the only one who, who will satisfy him. He's done looking. Are we? Are you? This morning, have you found the only one who is good? The only one who satisfies. Is he chasing you down, telling you to come to him when you're running after something else? Are you running after him? Don't, don't run to what leads you to destruction, to spiritual exile. We say often around here that sin happens and doesn't happen in a vacuum. It does not happen in a vacuum because if you sin, it affects the people around you. It affects this church. It affects your family, your friends. David doesn't even want to come near these temptations. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. He knows how dangerous these things are. He doesn't even want to associate with them. He knows though he was a shepherd, he, he's, more that, he's more kin to that of a sheep in need of a true shepherd. A sheep is in constant peril, constant need for protection and guidance. We can only find that in our true shepherd. I hope our hearts stir like this for our Lord uh, when temptation comes our way on a difficult day or, or when we're simply going through a mundane, everyday kind of week. 
Apart from the Lord, we can do no good. Do we say, preserve me, keep me, hold me, Lord. I don't want to do anything that's not with you or of you. I think a lot of us try to handle the evils in this world on our own strength way too often. We think we have something in us that's able to to conquer the evils of this world and we don't say, God, preserve me, hold on to me, help me. We need to cry out to him to pray for his deliverance in our ever-present time of need. It's every hour we need him. (laughs) Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Uh, Jeremiah says it very similarly in uh, his book, chapter 13. This is your lot. The portion that I have measured out to you declares the Lord. Um, For David, the Lord is his portion and his lot. But what, is that, what does that mean? We often, there's a phrase we say, uh, what is your lot in life? Somebody asks you, what is your lot in life? They're not asking about how much land you have. They're asking you, what are your circumstances in your life? David realizes God is his share, his allotment. Uh, he's in his every circumstance. His situation, his fortune, it's all because of the Lord. A lowly boy who could play the harp really well, defeats Goliath with a slingshot, becomes the chosen, anointed king of Israel all because of the Lord. This was nothing of David. And he recognizes that. He guided his entire life. All of this work is for the Lord. None of it was possible or good without him. And this leads David to worship, to praise, to recognition of his Lord. In verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So David is satisfied in what God made his life to be. And I think that's really beautiful. The Lord, I mean, he looks forward to remaining satisfied in the Lord. John Piper, uh, he says in comparing these verses to verse 2, You are my Lord and you are my good. We kind of said that earlier. God holds my lot. God is my lot. He decides my fortune. God is my fortune. God allots my inheritance. He is my inheritance. He governs my life. He is my life. Why then would we go after other gods? Can anything else make those same promises? Can anything else promise something and be that promise itself? This, uh, this verse 6, it settles David's life on an even course. It's so good because it, it preaches to us contentment. We prayed it this morning before the service. Uh, it's a, it's a, contentment's almost this boring word or a trigger word in our, in our culture. It seems like today you can't be content. You're wasting your time. You're apathetic if you're content. You'll never get the American dream. If you're content, things will pass you by. You have to be active. You have to go for it. You have to be more and more and more every single day. Uh, Contentment is actually very healthy and it is very good. It's the antithesis of, of coveting. For those of us who struggle in that, that's every single one of us, contentment is the antithesis of coveting, of wishing you had more from this world, that you'd be happier or more satisfied if you had what they have. We should be content in the Lord. It's way different than being content in the world. And then you might think, okay, that's easy for a king. That's easy for David. He's got everything he wants, right? He's, he's got abundance. He's got anything he wants. But the scriptures actually say it's much harder this makes David's faith and praise that much more inspiring. It's, it's in contrast uh, to Paul. 
Let's consider Paul's life. He was a persecutor of Christians before the Lord saved him, right? He definitely would have met people in his ministry that he, the family members and the friends of those whom he said in their life. That would have haunted him in his ministry. He would have been rejected, or he was rejected practically everywhere that he went. He was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead, flogged three times. He was shipwrecked three times, lost at sea for over a day, poor to the point where he needed simple things like food and clothing, imprisoned, ultimately martyred. And I get upset when I have to mow my lawn or when the pollen is thick and it drives my allergies insane. And my point, my point is this, no one in their right mind would want what happened to Paul. Those things that I just said. Yet in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If Paul is content with his chosen portion, where the lines fell for him in his life, I think we can be the same. How God directed his life to transpire, we can, we can surely rest in knowing that God's got perfect portions and lots for our life that are good for us. He will never lead us to sin. He will never tell us to go somewhere he won't be. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Some of you have had it very hard. The inheritance in store for those who believe, for those of us who are weak but in Christ are made strong, is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. It's the Lord who we trust in. It's his promises. And again, he is himself the inheritance. Wherever the lines fall in your life. Verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night my heart also instructs me, whether awake or asleep, he will listen to the Lord for guidance. Even at night my heart instructs me. David's going to spend the rest of this psalm pondering with application of what, what these truths mean. Um, I think it's possibly one of the most vulnerable things in life is to, to go to sleep, to lay practically unconscious in the dark for hours. Um, I'm a very hard sleeper, um, which is great. Um, it takes quite a lot to wake me up. Same with my wife. So if you ask me, uh, did you hear the thunderstorm last night? Nope. I did not hear it. Uh, when we had some earthquakes a while ago, didn't feel those. Um, or, I, or I didn't remember it. Maybe I stirred for a second. But we're both, we're both very heavy sleepers. But for some of you, the night isn't so easy. I know, um, I know it's hard. I don't know what all lies in your heart or in your mind that keeps you up, that won't let you rest. It's very heavy and hard. Uh, a while back, we, we, we got a calendar, and Savannah printed off some of the artwork. It had quotes on it, and we gave it to some people, and we gave one to Adam, and he put it in his office, and I think it's still there. But the quote was probably one of my favorites from that series, and it was, um, I think it speaks powerfully into what it means to be in the dark. It says, There's a reason the sky gets dark at night. We were not meant to see everything all the time. We were meant to rest and to trust even in the darkness. So remember, David's been saying, You are my Lord. You are my good. I have no good apart from you. I'm secure in you. You are my inheritance. And now it's even when I'm asleep, I'm safe in my Father's hands. 
who leads my heart, who instructs my heart, even when I don't try, even when I'm not even doing anything. It's at all times that, that God does this. In the sleepless hours of the night, for those, who, for those of us who can't find rest, who are, who are awake because of something that is haunting them, God's Spirit is with you and ready to give you counsel. And He is. He is doing it. He's actively working even when we're tired and can't go anymore. And every day our head hits that pillow. We can trust when our eyes shut that somebody's guiding our heart even then. And that, this right perspective keeps going in verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will never be shaken. David, like I said, he, he often begins psalms with, with almost an emergency. Lord, I need you. Help me. My enemies are coming. I need you. But this particular psalm, he quickly goes into praise to trust, to what ultimately roots him into the rock of ages. Uh, one thing David recognizes here, that God has, he, God has the ability to require of us whatever he says, whatever he pleases. We, if we are wholly bound to him, if we are his children, we trust in him as our savior. He has a right to require of us whatever he pleases. Everything David is, literally himself, and all that he has is because of God. We gotta remember that the Lord needs nothing and he is good. He needs nothing and he's good. And yet, on the other hand, we need everything and we are not good. He won't call us away from him. He won't call us into sin. He won't call us where he won't be. He will always call us to where it is good. And it's not us to determine what is good and what is bad. I think if we, if we think we have an ounce of good in us, in and of ourselves, then to some degree we, we, won't, we will conclude that we don't need God. We take honor away from him. We, we don't fear him. We don't revere him if we think we have an ounce of good in and of ourselves. And seeking him, you, bring, you know that you bring nothing to him except the sin that put him on the cross. This is what it means to set the Lord before you. It's the right perspective. If he's before me and he's at my right hand, if he's before me and at my right hand, what can shake you? Everything in this world that tries to vie for our attention, that shakes us up on our life, nothing will, nothing will get in, into you except what, what, what is before you and what's right beside you. If that's the Lord, if he's close, if he's essentially wherever we're going to go, then we don't need to lose our hope. If he's going to guide us at all times, we don't need to worry about sinking sand. We're on the rock. That's where our Lord desires to be, by the way. Close, right there, our Father. We won't be shaken. This is how Paul and David, and now us as the saints in Christ, that, that's how now we can say what verse 9 says. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells securely. Again, you are my Lord, you are my portion, you are my cup. You give me counsel. I can't be shaken. You're before me. You're beside me. We have security. We have gladdened hearts. And doesn't that sound wonderful? Doesn't that sound exactly like what we want? Complete security and a joy of a glad heart. 
Our whole being rejoices. Every part of us is happy, filled up. Romans 12, 12, that's our verse of the year, right? Rejoice in hope. Verse nine, that's the culmination of rejoicing in hope. And then, and then our verse says, be patient in tribulation. David hasn't forgotten his dilemma in verse one. A lot of us, we don't forget the things that we need saving from. But the tribulation won't compare to the promises that the Lord has been making. And David can be patient, even though death is, death is there, it, it's, it's before him, it doesn't compare. He doesn't, he's not afraid of it. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So all anxiety and fear, that's cast out amidst any tribulation that he's going to find. And from that faith, he can wait patiently. And then our verse of the year ends with be constant in prayer. This whole psalm is a prayer. The whole book of the psalms is a prayer. The whole Bible we can pray. So we can rejoice and be patient and pray for the same reason David did. Because, if, if, can we see it now that it's because of Jesus Christ who took our place at the cross? He was forsaken. He was abandoned. David won't be because Jesus was. You and I won't be because Jesus did it in our place. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He endured hell in our place, bearing our shame. His lot was to bear the sins of the world. He did it for the joy set before him. So we can rejoice today, not because Christ went to the grave, but because he rose again. He wouldn't have accomplished anything if he just died. He's not there anymore. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 real quick. I think this is remarkable. This is wonderful. Um, Acts chapter 2, so we have, the, we have the ascension. Jesus is resurrected. He's come back. Then he goes back to heaven, and he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And so we have Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on the disciples. And where does the Holy Spirit lead Peter? In the very first sermon in the early church, Psalm 16, he begins to preach. So not only Peter believe in Christ, right? We know that. He believes in Christ, but he explains why he believes that Psalm 16 is pointing to Jesus. He recites verses 8 through 11. I'll pick up there in verse 29. It says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So David is a man, he died and he stayed dead, right? That's not, (laughs) that's very common, Peter points out David's covenant with David, though, continuing in verse 10, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. If we pause right there, David knows his throne will last forever, okay? God made a covenant with him, 2 Samuel 7, that someone from his line will be on the throne forever. Maybe David, okay, maybe David thought that was going to be him, but I think reality would let him know that, yeah, all men are going to die. It won't be me. As he's writing Psalm 16, He would have known this, remembering that covenant. So Peter points out that promise, and in continuing now in Acts 2, verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So though Jesus was forsaken at Calvary, because being the eternal Son of God, being obedient and wholly divine, 
Death could not hold him. He didn't see corruption. That's why David gets to say, you won't let me see corruption, because his son did not see corruption. God's oath is being kept, right? The son of David, the one from his line, that's Jesus, that's the Messiah. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Notice the Trinity there. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The Jews that heard this preached to them were cut to the heart. They believed, they repented, they were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit, the church takes its first steps. Now we go back to Psalm 16, verse 11. This is a beautiful verse to memorize. I know we've got a memory group going on right now. Memorize that one. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is glory. It does not get better than this. It is so hard to believe that, but Christian, I'm telling you, it does not get better than that. Again, to quote John Piper, what is fuller than full? What is longer than forever? Nothing. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. There's nothing else that can top this because everything compared to full and complete and lacking nothing, it's empty in comparison. Nothing compares. Nothing else is good. You are my Lord. Apart from you, there is no good. How do we take this truth? How do we apply this as the church, as the people of God today? If he's our good, if he's our portion, my inheritance, my lot in life, my counselor, the one who hears me, my strength, my gladness, my fullness, my security, my treasure, my pleasure forevermore. These promises, they're made to sinners. David, an adulterer, a murderer, he's the one making these promises, right? He's the, he's the one claiming these things. He claims them for himself because he's been claimed. He's been chosen by his God. How do we claim them? Romans 5.8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By his wounds we're healed. Jesus bought these promises with his life. He took our place. We won't see corruption. We won't see Sheol. We won't see Hades. We won't see death. Not in the same way. Because we, be, we are alive together with Christ. We've been forgiven. We have, so, we have hope in the son of David. Um, back in verse 4, we talked about those who run after other gods. Running. I, I was a runner. I'm trying to be a runner again. We had a 5K a couple weeks ago or last week. And I heard a lot of, oh, that's far. 5K, that's three miles. Uh, can we cheer from the sideline? Can I walk it? Can we just do part of it? I'll, I'll, I'll come, but I'm not going to run. Uh, to me, uh, you know, I, I want to say to that, it's only three miles. It's three, 12 laps around a track. It's to the Chick-fil-A and back. I Google Maps it. Chick-fil-A and back. And some of, them, some of you, when I say that, it's like, yeah, that's pretty far. There's a hill too. Um, but I, I, I will say I'm not going to go run to get my Chick-fil-A sandwich. I will, I will drive if I'm up here for lunch. But I can't help but think if we know that we're in a race, if we're in Christ, and if we have the same attitude 
about that 5K as we do about this race. I don't know how long you're going to run for. I don't know how long. I don't know when he's coming back. Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? This is Paul. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth. But we are imperishable. I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I can't put a distance on how far your race is going to be in Christ. I can't tell you when it will be done, but I can tell you to run with me as my family, as those I delight in. Perhaps you're tired this morning. Maybe you have been running. Maybe you're worn out. Man, I hope you're worn out telling other people about Jesus, about the good news, about how you've been forgiven, how you're not going to see death how you've been forgiven from your sin that wore you down. The other gods that never satisfied you, they're dead, they're gone. It's only in Jesus. I hope that makes you tired. But if you're tired for another reason, I hope that you would run to him this morning chasing what's imperishable. David's running full steam ahead. I'm so thankful for this psalm. Run to win the prize. Don't just run. Run to win. Run with me. I want to win. Want that for each other. Want that for your brothers and sisters. Don't think the Christian life is for some Christians. It's for all God's children. If we're running towards our Savior, this church will be much more attractive and heavenly. This passage therefore teaches us that there is no sacrifice more acceptable to God than when we sincerely and heartily connect ourselves with the society of the righteous and being knit together by the sacred bond of godliness, cultivate and maintain with brotherly goodwill. Christian, we were saved into something. We were saved into a kingdom to be priests in a holy nation, not saved to ourselves. My prayer is that God would show us to the watching world that we'd be a city set on a hill that can't be hidden that our lament would be, would be there, but it would be quickly turned to praise and hope in our Savior. Run with the Lord always before you and at your right hand. He did not stay seeing, seeing corruption and neither will his bride. Run the path that he's given to you, your lot in life. Run that race. Run it with me. Run it together. Run it to win towards the only thing that is good. And thankfully, it's secured in our Savior. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are victorious. As the son of David, you are on the throne forever. You conquered the grave. Now you make us more than conquerors. Let us, Lord, would you lead us now in in this hope, the hope of everlasting life. We know we won't be abandoned. We will not be shaken when we're with you. Lord, would you keep us? Would you, would you pray with us that you would lead us in that, that you would be our Lord? Help us to confess with our mouths that you are my Lord. Lord, please satisfy us. Help us to rest in you, to be content in your promises that are never ending.
Thank you for claiming us, for choosing us, for forgiving us of our sin, for making us alive together with you. And Lord, would you help these truths just to stick into our minds this morning that we'd want to share them with someone else, with our spouse, with our kids, with our family, our friends today. Lord, help us to be a delight to you and to each other. Give us that blessed consciousness and and a bright hope that's only found at the cross and the resurrection of your son. We love you and it's in his name that we pray it. Amen.